Boom. Reactive. What's up, everyone? No, I don't like that. <clears throat> What's up, everyone, and welcome to the sidebar, where we double-click on everyday topics and thoughts, but more importantly, get a chance to hear ourselves talk. Today's topic is part two of our three-part series where we discuss our past, current, and future dream jobs, hoping to find some sense in how the heck we got to where we are and where we want to go from here. Last episode, we discussed the past. The jobs that got us started, taught us how to dice a green pepper, and left us with several awards on our mantle. Today, we'll talk about our current jobs. What we do on a daily basis, but also how we feel our work impacts the world around us. We will leave you with a couple of book recos and travel tips as you mentally prepare for our final episode where we discuss the future. So for those of you joining, thank you for getting this far. We hope you like the sound of our voices because there's about to be a lot more of it. It's been one of those days. How was your day? You know, it was great out of the eight hours. It was good for seven hours and 55 minutes. What but happened I, in the five minutes? Do you I want had, to talk about it or no? I had a rocker of five minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's on topic, I guess. We had our town hall today, which is basically our entire company goes on for about an hour. And our senior leadership has a bunch of updates about the year, new business, going back to the office, all sorts of things. And I was asked to join to speak. We have like a little, a new learning hub type thing, which basically is like a bunch of training videos. And we're trying to get, I was basically the hype girl. I was, I was brought on to give a testimonial to say, check out this website. We have, we've done a lot of work to really bring all these career development training tools for us to look at and just kind of speak on it for five minutes. And uh, I prepped for it try to keep it really casual because I feel like I was selected for a certain reason. And um, just a casual 1,000 guests were invited. <laughs> but I think only really like 280 or something joined. And I absolutely bombed it. I mean, I just <laughs> choked. <laughs> so Like you couldn't deliver, like you couldn't talk? Yeah. Oh. Well, so like it's on video. And I have, I'm realizing that my office setup is not the best, where my chair, I feel like, can't raise to the level that I want it. So like my feet, I'm not in like a sturdy position. And so I'm not, I don't feel grounded. I don't feel comfortable. <laughs> and I want to be standing, but I can't do that. And I had my script kind of ironed out and you have the whole thing about like, you got to be on time and you got to have your camera on and you don't want to be on mute. You don't want to be that person. So there's a lot of things going on. And like I practiced a lot and then the town hall went and I was like probably going to start like halfway in was my cue. And I could just feel like 25 minutes in my heart was just like, <laughs> bum, 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 bum. <laughs> to the point where it's just like, oh my God, what's happening? And I felt like my first couple sentences were great and then it just like kept rising and rising and rising to the point where like my voice was qu quivering 
And I just, you can't rebound after that. Like you can't take a breath. You can't start over. You just have to push through it. And I quivered for five (laughs) minutes. Do you think you would have been better in person? Absolutely. 100%. Okay. Because this is not my first time. I mean, it's my first time on a town hall, but I've given presentations and classes, probably 50 to 75 people. And I've given a lot of wedding speeches, which I love. But mm-hmm. I definitely think that this virtual thing has just like eaten me alive. So I don't know if you have any, well, you clearly do a lot of YouTube stuff. So I mean, do yeah, you- I was going to say this, like when I do the live show, I get nervous for the experience of the viewer. Like I get nervous that people are going to hate me the whole time, but no part of me is nervous that like I'm going to not be able to do what I need to do. But then again, everything that I'm doing live is like me being myself. I'm not trying to pitch anything. Nothing is scripted or organized. It's just a situation arises and I react to it authentically, which is one of the easiest things to do. So it's not, it's not apples to apples for sure. Yeah. Um, but like in board meetings and stuff like that, I guess I do get nervous in board meetings, but that's cause I'm the youngest person by a lot, a lot. And, uh, I just stumbled while saying a lot I'm falling <laughs> apart. It's happening. <laughs> That's what edit, editing's for. Phew. No, but I, I mean, I've been, so this was like in the morning. So obviously my entire day is shot and I can't, <laughs> I can't, do, I can't like rebound. So I'm thinking about it and it's just like, I just overthought it. And I tried to be like, you're in this corporate environment. You're with a bunch of senior leadership and like, you want to make sure you're saying what they want you to say, but you also want to be yourself. And I just tried to be somebody I wasn't. And I just got super formal and really it's like in, if I was talking about ultimate or like my best friend getting married, like that's great. But like, I think I'm still, even though I've been in this role for like seven to eight years, I still have this insecurity of like, I don't, I don't belong in this group kind of thing. You know, like I have When are they going to find out that, that <laughs> I don't know anything? Yeah. So then that begs the question of with this harrowing story of workplace failure, yeah. if you're not fired for what you did uh where do you work <laughs> yeah spe- and, and how did you start yeah what's what's the origin story let's put a pin in that comment about being fired because i have a good story about that as well um <laughs> with this current job so i am i work for cushman and wakefield and i have been working with this company for i think i think i just had my eight year anniversary in november which is also my eight year anniversary of living in st louis so welcome. I didn't get you anything. I'm sorry. Yeah. F you, man. Oh, so what is <laughs> what is Cushman and Wakefield to to the outsiders? I obviously know all about it and everything <laughs> like that. But sure. To sure. a listener to, to the one listener that might not know. Right. So it's a commercial real estate firm. We are international. And what I do at Cushman is different than what we do in the rest of the country. If you see signs for Cushman and Wakefield, like in in any other state, that's mainly for like brokerage or property management. But in St. Louis, we have a little, a different branch that does kind of just any sort of real estate services. So we do basically any corporate client can come to us and we'll take care of any real estate services, any real estate service that they need so they can focus on their day-to-day job. So we can do anything from finding their locations to negotiating their leases, to paying their bills, making sure that they're paying the right amount of bills, managing their facilities, 
designing their locations, even doing some project management and building their locations. So, oh, so anything from basically finding it to, to building it and then maintaining it. So I have done mainly on the front end. So we call it transactions. So it's mainly the site selection, market analysis, lease negotiations. So if, um, if you're finding a new location, I can negotiate that new contract. And then if you're coming up for renewal, I can work with the landlord to negotiate the renewal terms. If you want to relocate, that kind of stuff. Are so, you a hard negotiator? Like, are people afraid of you? <laughs> well, I am now because I know what I'm doing. Definitely when I started, I, was, I had never read a lease. So that was a, definitely a learning thing. But I tend to play the role of like the sweet, innocent girl <laughs> role. The, you get to play good cop. <laughs> yeah. I just butter them up, especially depending on what, what market we're in. Luckily, I haven't had to negotiate anything in New York or California. I feel like those landlords are a little bit more hardcore. When I first started, I had a lot of like Midwest deals, which was nice to have like those mom and pop guys. But I, I will say one of my favorite parts of the jobs is negotiating with a landlord and them saying that we did something wrong or that we weren't right. And I have the proof to show that we were right. I just love <laughs> sticking it to them. <laughs> and, so it's a very vindictive, <laughs> vengeful. And okay. I, I would have never uh, thought that I was like that. But it just it, it feels good when you're negotiating and you actually have like a leg to stand on. See, and we talked a little bit about this last time, but I'm in somewhat of an opposite situation where I often find that my clients have miscalculated or misspoken or something like that. And as much as I want to be like, hey, idiots, look what you did. Mm -hmm. You were wrong. And look, I told you about this. I told you this would happen. I have it in writing. And you even signed and said you would cover any overages that occurred because of this. And now you're just fighting back because you're ignorant. Um, but I can't do that. I just can't do that. And I had I had one situation, which I'm sure we can get into, but it was a really bad relationship with an agency that was taking advantage of me. And f when I finally was like, no, like it was the only time I've ever flexed on somebody and they weren't paying me. And they said, like, we're not paying you because our client hasn't paid us yet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's not how business works. Like you don't, you don't not pay your rent. You don't not pay for like, if you're ordering, it was a marketing company. So it's like, if you're ordering a whole bunch of t-shirts for the, your client, you don't pay for those when your client finally pays you. Like you, you pay when you buy stuff like video production. Right. Uh, right. And so that was the only time that I had to like show my contract. Like, no, you agreed to pay me. Nothing in here says when you get the money, like, I know you have money. You're just being mean. Right. Um, but that's the only, every other situation, I am just like, oh, yeah, no, no problem. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Fine, 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 fine. I'll take care of everything and I'll, I'll be poor for you. Well, I, I think the, the situation is, m makes for that. Because, like, I, I have your struggle as well when I'm talking to, like, our client. But when I can stick it to people is when I'm speaking on behalf of the client, like, to the landlord fighting for them. But I have the same struggle when I'm with the with the client of saying when I think that you know they might have misunderstood or, or aren't speaking right that I can't say I guess anything. that's true like yeah you're talking about negotiating with a vendor mm -hmm. essentially not a client mm -hmm. and that is different yeah so for anyone who doesn't know my job I'm a video producer and I started my company 
12 years ago. I started it in 12, 13, 11. I don't know. I started it in 2008, like December of 2008 um, is when I filed with the state of Missouri for my business license or whatever and became Boom Reactive. December 16th, 2008 is when I bought boomreactive.com. So even though there's been like 10 milestones to like starting a company and like when you first found it, whatever, I've always celebrated December 16th as the date because that's when I bought boomreactive.com. And I feel like that's a commitment of sorts. Over those 12 years, like I started by doing web design, really, really bad websites <laughs> um, for almost no money. Uh, and spoiler alert, not a great business choice. Um, <laughs> Been there. But then, re- <laughs> but then really quickly, I lucked into, like I was, I was building a website for somebody and they were like, hey, we have a company picnic coming up. Will you take photos, like come out and do photos and put them on our website? And I said, yeah. And then they had another thing that they were doing, like a community service thing. And they were like, will you come out and do photos for that? And this was right, like Facebook pages became a thing in late 2007. So they didn't even really have momentum at this point. Businesses really weren't on it until like 08, 09. And so it became very natural. We lucked into like, well, if we're doing content anyway, we're going out and doing these regular photo shoots for our clients. Let's put it on Facebook instead of putting it on a website where someone has to go to your website. We'll put it on Facebook where it will find people anyway. And so for like six or seven years, just did social media management, like just did Facebook pages for restaurants and businesses and stuff like that. Had a small staff that grew. I had my partner, John, um, who you may know, John Becker. Yeah. And worked with him for a while. And then it got to the point where I was a bad business person, wasn't planning things right, wasn't budgeting, wasn't charging the clients what I needed to. And we were charging based on performance of like, you only pay based on how many impressions you get and stuff like that, like how much we create for you. But it turns out there's a lot of controls beyond our control that determine how how well something performs and we can work our tails off. And if it's a bad client, they'll never pay that much because they're never going to see that good of results because they're boring and they're bad. And so that was holding us back in some significant ways. But then John and I split paths and now he started big rush marketing where they specialize in this and like social media advertising, they're absolute gurus. And I took the content side of the business of creating photos and videos and like made that project based. So instead of doing stuff just for someone's Facebook page and like all our contracts were for regular business. Like if you were like, Hey, we have this one event, we weren't going to accept that. But if you wanted to sign us on to run your stuff for a year, that's what we were saying yes to. So when, when we split, I started doing that one-off project stuff and started charging a lot more, which was what I should have been charging the whole time. And it became a sustainable business. But I, at the peak of employment, I had myself and three other, one full-time, two part-time. And then I had three interns that were working with us. Um, and so I had like a staff of seven under my employ and that was terrifying and awful. Mm-hmm. And I never want to do that again. It's all led to this point where now, 12 years later, all we do is video production. It got to the point before where I was managing, like my job was managing clients and people. And I wasn't getting to, like I had to hire photographers because I couldn't go out and shoot at anything because I didn't have the time. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that was my favorite thing. Mm. And so now I've had the time to step back, to rethink and to, to retool it in a way where I get to do the stuff that I want to do uh, instead of having to hire someone else to do it for me. So now I do video production where I help people. They say, hey, I have an idea. And I say, okay. And then I 
ask them the right questions and schedule things. And if it's stuff I shoot, I schedule all that. If I need to hire other people or rent gear, like I am the go-to, like, like your real estate services, anything related to the production I'm doing. Like I'm doing a project with the St. Louis Symphony right now that uh, filmed yesterday and the day before, and I wasn't there. I wasn't a part of, I didn't direct it or anything, but I'm producing it, meaning I know who's filming it. They're giving the footage to me. I'm making sure all the pieces are in place, even though I'm not executing any of them. I'm coordinating all of them. Yeah. Um, which is which is fun and different. So. Wow. It's been it's been exciting and a long journey to get here, but it's what I like doing now. And it it seems like it's definitely you know started here and has evolved quite a bit over the years. I'm curious when you first started whether that was with John or without John, did you have like, it, it sounded like almost you decided to go into your own business and then you kind of figured out the social media thing and then figured out the content thing and then figured out the, did you have like a, a specific oh, yeah. plan of what you were? Not at all. It was completely failing forward and being in the right place at the right time. I started it because I watched my, my dad's company and the marketing company that I was working at, they both hired different companies to build their websites and they were charged $60,000 and $80,000. I think these two companies for a website that had no e-commerce. It wasn't like you could shop. It was just a digital business card Mm. um, where you could click about and, you know, click here to email us. And this is in 2006 and seven. We're like, no one's like looking on their phone. There wasn't an iPhone at that point. Um, And so like there is no mobile internet or anything. And it was just so insane to me that like these small businesses would pay almost a hundred thousand dollars for what I did for fun, like making websites in college and stuff like that. Like, so it started because I teamed up with my college roommate and was like, dude, if I sell a couple websites and you make them, we could do them for like five grand and split it or, you know, in, in some way. And so that's how it started. That was the whole idea. It was like, we'll do websites and the plan was to like build a advertising agency of sorts where we could just help someone do all of their marketing stuff. And then, yeah, instead it turned into, we did a website and people wanted to pay us to go do more photos. And then people wanted to pay us to put those photos on Facebook. And yeah, we just, there was no grand plan to end up where I am. It was more just like, oh, this is fun and people are paying for it. Let's do that. So were you were you working in the deli also at the time to like supplement payment or were you did you just go head first into I went head first which yeah. is a a product of white privilege 100% but I was able to So in 2007 I was working at that's when I worked in the deli that summer and then for a year and a half I worked at a company called Promotion that was doing mobile marketing tours like that's, I worked for CNN through them. Like I was doing these mobile tours for CNN mm-hmm. uh, and for Campbell Soup, V8, uh, Ace Cash Express. Forgot who else I have polo shirts from um, that I ran, ran tours for. But it was while I was working at that marketing company, like that was totally fun and like what a cool time to do that. But it was that marketing company that paid a ton of money for a website. And I'm sitting there like, instead of you guys paying like $100,000 to some company pay me just a little bit of that I'll do it for you and so we did like the first site we did was theirs after that big one fell through and they never got any of their money back that they had paid those people but that's how it's it started so I I left that company for different reasons and I was done living in hotels Mm -hmm. and not having a dog 
So I, I stopped traveling and I got a dog, but I started my company. My dad helped me out and loaned me the money to buy my first camera, a Sony Z5U and a computer. And that's what I needed to film and edit. And I essentially had no real overhead at that point. Like I had my website and hosting that was like a hundred bucks a year. And that was it. Like once I had my camera, I could just make money. Uh, and so I didn't for a while, but <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. There was no grand plan. It's interesting. Cause it, I feel like, I feel like we kind of crisscross, right? Like I, I was in the freelance and now I'm kind of, I'm not in freelance and, and now you have moved into having your own company. But I, I feel like we kind of had the same, there's parallels in how we got to our current jobs because we kind of realized that we have these skills that we can just utilize and make money on. Like for me, I, I, I figured out that freelance was not my thing, but I had this diplomat program where I was like, I, want, I know I want to be around people and I know I'm more than you know, I have these communication skills or whatever, so let's get into the corporate world. But I didn't know anything about real estate. Luckily, my dad knew somebody at this company and I had connections to St. Louis. So I just literally got in a van, had my air mattress and like drove out here and took a chance for the job and just thought, I'm gonna figure it out. I feel like I'm, I'm capable. I have the foundation to figure out any sort of new job. And I feel like that was very similar to you where you didn't necessarily have like a, I'm going to do this this year and this is my five-year path, but I'm a pretty darn good creative person and I'm going to figure it out. So I don't know. It seems interesting. That, that really hits the nail on the head where I, I knew, like to say I didn't have a plan, I didn't have a plan for how to get to where I am, but I always knew that this is where I wanted to be. I, like I could have told you I wanted to be a video producer, but in college I didn't understand and to an extent the roles didn't exist the way that they do now. Like the technology that has come out in the past 12 years has enabled me to do this. And without advances in technology, my job wouldn't be possible because like when I was in college, if you wanted to be, go into video, you could either be a camera operator and that was like a full-time job, or you could be a video producer or a writer or a director. And everything was so intense and like editing was such a nightmare with all the gear you needed and stuff that you couldn't just like, well, I'm going to write something, shoot it myself, light it myself, edit it myself, and publish it myself because all those things were so cumbersome. And then essentially Apple made a computer that could do all of that for you. And then the cameras got cheap enough where you could shoot it yourself. And then it's the tiniest little thing, but autofocus, the fact that the cameras autofocus changed the game. And as that continues to get better, like when I'm filming an interview, I fully trust my current cameras to keep the focus perfectly locked on someone, no matter how much they move around. And even five or six years ago, I needed multiple people because if somebody like shifted forward in their chair, they'd be out of focus and the camera would not, like it would hunt around and zoom in and out until it found it. And it, that would all be unusable footage. So you needed someone to do it. And so it's those little things like, and lights. Lights 12 years ago were heavy and hot. And now with LEDs, like all my lights can fit in a duffel bag essentially and I can light a movie scene with that stuff and run it off battery power. And so it's all these little things that I wouldn't have when I started 
been able to say like, well, I want to have my own little studio and a little laptop and make videos for companies, edit it all myself, light it all myself, work with people that I want to work with and handle it because that wasn't possible then. Like you needed to be a production house with multiple people in those roles. Um, so as it became possible to do all this, I kept finding that way to say like, okay, I want to make videos. I want to take photos. How do I get someone to pay me for that? And for a while it was websites, for a while it was Facebook, and then it became profitable to to do one-off projects. And and as video became more popular, like you, you said at the beginning of this, like you guys were doing a video conference and you had to talk about a video library of training videos. The fact that so many companies understand how important video is, our job gets easier and easier uh, because we're not having to convince anyone like, hey, you should make a video. Mm-hmm. It can do this. Like that conversation was a conversation I used to have. I used to have to convince people to make a video and now people understand that they need to and why they just need someone to do it and so my job has gotten I don't need a salesperson anymore like people come to me and they say we know we need a video mm-hmm. we know why just do it. it it's definitely after the fact that it really kicks in for a lot of people I know that these so I have two examples that are not necessarily completely relative to what you were just saying but or apples to apples but like I heard on a conference call about you know with Microsoft Teams and just overall like virtual conferencing that if you would have mentioned that a year ago everybody would have been like uh no we don't need that like that's that's for all the millennials and now everybody everybody uses that you know all day every day and I think it's the same with I used to preach that about wedding videography and I know that you don't necessarily do much of that but it's like gosh after the fact everybody's like oh man I should have got a videographer but they never can like justify the cost or be like uh eh, it's not necessary I have a I'm spending all my money in photos, but the video is like, that's where you get the context behind the photos. And I'm just a big proponent of it. A photo of of a smile versus a video of a smile is a very different thing. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, I've done, I've done a handful of weddings and I don't produce any of them. Like I don't book wedding clients, but I have people who are like, Hey, we need a camera operator. We come shoot this wedding. And I've I've done a handful of those, but yeah, it's always like you said last time, the, the pressure to get it right on, on the most important day of someone's life, the happiest day of someone's life for all your gear to work perfectly and under the time crunch. And if you miss, there's several moments that are once in a lifetime moments, literally <laughs> like the first kiss and the rings going on and stuff. And if you mess that up, you mess up their memory of oh, it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that is the heavy, heavy hangs the crown. Is that the expression? You, you better, you better have 25 batteries couple cameras 35 sd cards or whatever they're called these days i'm even being like just a few years out of the game i feel like i'm 20 years out of the game no it's mostly sd cards although i'm now shooting on compact flash express type a cards whoa Um, but it's it's funny i won't go into this but one of the biggest gripes that i have with with my industry is when people push back on hourly rates and they're like, you know, you're, we only need you for four hours. Why is it going to cost an arm and a leg? And it's like, well, A, it's not an arm and a leg. And B, what you just said, Shannon, like I have to bring not only myself for those four hours and all the gear, but I also have to bring backup gear and redundancies. And I need to have your footage backed up on multiple hard drives because if anything happens, you're going to be mad that your footage is lost or that the day is lost. You're going to line all this stuff up, have your CEOs gather to do their interviews. And if the lights don't work, we have problems. So you need to make sure that I'm like, I need to make sure that I have good gear that's reliable Mm -hmm. and that costs money. And people so often forget how much goes into, yeah, 
cameras a couple thousand dollars, but all those extra batteries and add up. And you're paying for the 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 noggin. I mean, just the the expertise of knowing that you need that and knowing how to switch your card right before the ceremony so you can have a fresh pack or whatever, you know, like it's yeah. just that, that knowledge and expertise. I mean, again, not necessarily apples to apples, but like when we're hiring vendors for our um, subs for like construction and it's like, okay, well, this, this is probably only going to take a couple hours to install these outlets, but we're actually going to pay them for like two days work. And it's like, which is more, but like there's also just the, you're paying for the expertise but then it's also just the message that you're giving of like, you're not nickel and diming them. You're, yeah. you're going to go that extra mile and be like, I'm going to give you the time that you need. And then hopefully I'm going to get better results because of that structure. If anyone that I hire charges me a day rate that I don't think is high enough, I have like my own standards for what I will pay someone. And there's been so many like younger people that I've hired who are like newer to the industry and stuff who come in and they're like, I'm like, what's your day rate? And they're like $250. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm not paying you less than 800. Like <laughs> I, I know what it costs. I know the gear that you're bringing to this and you need to learn to ask for more than you're asking. But yeah, I, we have to do our part as not only to keep the economy going, but also for that, like you're saying that the attitude, the, the baseline you're saying of like, we care, this is important to us that it is done right. And we thank you for knowing how to do it right. And we know that that didn't happen overnight. Yeah. You can't say that like, if you're going into a day, like say you're not the master negotiator and, and know your worth and have gotten to the place where you can claim your day rate, but say that you do go into a, an event that will be exactly six hours and they're like, we're going to pay you either five hours or six hours that your approach to that day versus a, I'm going to pay you for 10 hours worth or like your full day and night yeah. rate wouldn't be different. Totally. I find that when I talk to a client who is like, you know, Hey, that's your day rate. Cool. No problem. Versus when somebody says like, well, your day rate is for eight hours. We only need you for seven. Can you adjust your day rate? I know from experience not to work with those people. Yeah. Like I know that that little pushback means that every other conversation that we have, every round of revision is going to be such a headache and they're just going to nitpick. Like it's such a red flag of like, that's how you're going to be. Thanks for letting me know now because I, I will say no to the gig. So I, so we're talking to a 12 year veteran here who is able to say that. How long did it take for you to get there? I'm, I'm still on my way. I feel like every year I read another book that explains to me what I should have been doing all along. And I like I have constant epiphanies of like, oh, and usually they come with this like, oh, well, now this is what I have forever. And now I know everything. And then like six months later, it's like, oh, my God, I was so stupid. But now now I know everything. And then six months later, it's like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? What I just learned, though, this is it. And now it like just on and on. I have a question that I was going to ask at the end, but I might as well just ask it now. There's some, so you're a creative person. Mm -hmm. You like doing creative things. So am I. You have a steady job with a reliable salary and I assume health benefits, some job security. I don't know what other benefits you have to your mm -hmm. job. You get to travel, but you don't get to be creative in the traditional sense, you don't get to do graphic design, you don't get to do photography and video, things that you enjoy, but you have a comfortable financial life 
in theory. I don't know what you do with your money. By contrast, my work is remarkably fulfilling creatively, but it comes at the absolute in the absolute absence of regularity and dependability as far as a paycheck. Like I could have a great I mean, exactly what happened in the pandemic. I had a great February and March last year, like amazing. And then my world disappeared and there was no one to say, well, here's a severance pay or we're downsizing or, you know, we're still going to operate. Like I rise and fall with the market. But I'm wondering, is there any part of you that questions like now that you've left freelancing behind Mm -hmm. and and you're in this reliable career? Is there any part of you that looks at like the grass is always greener and says, you know, yeah, here I am in, in corporate America being a cog in the machine instead of getting to create. Mm-hmm. Is there a part of you that, that wonders that, or are you happy with how you have it of, you know, you'll always be able to pay your rent. You might not get to take photos till after work though. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's a great question. Um, I think one of the reasons I got into this current role was not necessarily the money, but I came across the realization that I couldn't be creative 24 seven. Like the, the pressure of me being creative to put money on the table was something that I, my DNA couldn't really handle. And I, I think my creativity suffered because of that. And so I made that shift of saying, I still love this kind of stuff, but I'd rather find a job where I can use that as an asset to kind of set me apart from my coworkers. So slightly a little bit of a cop out, I guess. No, that's legit. And I mean... That's a, I was going to say when I had seven employees and was managing people all the time, that was the hardest part of like, as I knew, like we weren't earning the revenue that I knew we needed to earn. It wasn't that I was broke. It was that I was paying for John's dog's food. Yeah. As, as the employer, there was so much responsibility that came along with that, that when there were lean months and stuff, which there absolutely were like I just felt awful and like I couldn't sleep and stuff like that. And so I'm happy now that I have no employees. And for a while it was just wonderful. And I was just making stuff and not making a lot of money, not making a lot of profit, but pouring anything I made back into new gear and, and leveling up and and doing professional development. And it was really nice that Jesse is fully employed. And now though, as we have a kid and as we're, you know, thinking about house hunting and all this stuff, there's so many things where I'm like, like even when we got this house, like looking, like doing the mortgage application, they're like, you know, well, how much money did you make last year? And I'm like, well, this much, this year is not looking nearly as good as last year, but I don't know what next year could look like. Right. It's so inconsistent. And I, until I was like filling out that mortgage application, I don't think I really paused to be like, oh, I really can't say what my revenue is going to be like in six months from now ever. Like there will never be a point where I can be like, yeah, cruise and I can do this for the next 10 or 15 years. Wow. But hey, I mean, you, you've made it this far. And, but I, I think the, the difference is, is that you, you had kind of your laser focus of the end goal of a video, or you at least knew part of the, the creative world that you felt that passion for in, in like your belly, like they say. But like, for me, I think I, I have, I am creative, but I didn't necessarily like have the idea of what I wanted to do. And so I didn't want to, I wanted to take a job to get a little bit more of a steady grip of the world and, and find ways to figure out what that was. And, and I do, the great thing about why I have stayed with this company is because I have found ways to flex that creative muscle, whether that's 
creating videos for town halls that I, before we, I had to speak in them um, yeah. <laughs> or doing things on the side. So I, I'm hoping to, the stability that I'm able to get now in order to, f- once I do figure that out, maybe will give me the leisure or the, the luxury to do that in the future. So I have a couple questions about your current job. First, and as we were talking about questions for this episode, I really liked one of yours um, of, have you gotten to the part where you can control your content or path, i.e. able to say no? And I have to assume this this question comes from a place that you've experienced in some way. And so I, I want to know, do you feel like you're in a place where, where you control your content, you control your path in, in your current career? So I've always, I feel the reason where I've been able to get where I am and I, I would consider myself on a little bit of an advanced trajectory within the company. I, I think that we all, I mean, after seven or eight years, you would expect to be at least in some sort of management role. But I feel like in my early years, I was able to get a little bit of a boost because I always had the team first mentality. When they say, when they sit you down for your annual goals or your review and you're like, what do you want to do? And it's just like, whatever the team needs, whatever the client needs, I know that you guys have my best interest in mind, you know, you'll take care of me or whatever. And I feel like that's been a pro, but I, I'm starting to get, I, I know that there's an expiration to that if I want to really climb the ladder and like be, be up there, but I don't think I'm there. And I, I don't, and I don't know if I ever want to get there. Like, I don't know if I want to, I feel like that team selflessness is like who I am. And I, I'm okay with not being the best of the best because of that. So I, I don't know, as far as being able to say no, we don't necessarily get, we can say like what we want to do of like, I want to go more in project management or I want to stay in transactions. I want to try a new client. But if they come to say, hey, you're going to work for this client, I feel like if you say no, that's like a little bit of a, a black X on you. Does that answer yeah, your question? I, it does, but it, it brings me to another one of... So what I said earlier about my job, like I did sort of level up. I was running a creative agency. I was the head of this creative agency, but I wasn't doing anything that I wanted to anymore. I wasn't talking to the people that I wanted to. I wasn't making anything. Would you, like if you could level up and become a manager, an executive, or at the most extreme example, like if you could become the CEO, would you want that role? Like, like, what is the highest role? If you could do it as a team player and, and still do all the things, if it would check all the boxes personally, how high would you would you want to go? Like, where is where is your your yeah. ceiling? Uh, I would say, and I think I'm Justin's probably going to listen to this, right? Like, he's like our one our one listener. If he doesn't, it'll just make it extra sad that this part <laughs> exists. But. But yeah, I'd I fe- like to think so. I feel like he, he mentioned this like in one of our Survivor Hangouts about like how he loves to be like the second in command or like a right-hand man. And that's what, I mean, I, I don't think I could ever be the top top, but I'd be okay being the second. Vice or president. Or the third, yeah. A little, bit, a little bit of a buffer. When I, the ship goes down, you're allowed to swim out. Right, right. You don't have to go down with it. Okay. I, I do think my answer would be there's different. That, there's the team player right there. <laughs> I do think my answer would be different if I had a family, you know, so there's there's different perspective there. But I also think that, like, I don't want to say no to things now because I don't, what I think is right for me might not be right for me. Like, th- there's been changes in my current company that I'm kind of like, ah, oh, that seems like a sidestep or maybe a step back. But then it ends up, like, catapulting catapulting me to something else. 
that I didn't even realize. So it's like, I don't want to judge a book by its cover. And, and so that's why it's like, I'm still kind of a, a yes ma'am kind of girl. And I would say that that's different than being a yes, a yes man. Because I mean, the, the same thing when you squint and look at it is true of what I was saying of like where, yeah, I didn't want to make Facebook photos for a living. But when that was the opportunity, it turned into something else that led to a lot more connections and opportunities. It was a good thing being that nimble and being that flexible, even if it doesn't at the time seem like the most rewarding of things. Yeah. It also kind of sends a message to to management of, you know, if you're a little bit of a, a stick in the mud, which by the way, I get all of my phrases mixed up. So I don't even know if that's the right one. We can fact check me after <laughs> You're a bit of an early bird. <laughs> but yeah, just if you if you kind of stick your nose up to, to things that, that doesn't really send a good message and you're not necessarily looked at for the next opportunity. Yeah. I mean I see that with, with the people I hire of there's there's been a few people who pushed back and like there's people who go out and do more than I ask them to do when they're filming. That's so much better than somebody that I that I have to micromanage and beg them to do certain things. Um, where it's like, Okay, I'm not going to hire you again. There's, yeah. there's a weird thing. One of my favorite books is Every Tool's a Hammer by Adam Savage, uh, the co-host of Mythbusters. Um, and it's a beautiful book. And it's he's a maker. He creates things and models and like props and stuff for films. That's what his career has been. And it's this cool book that takes some lessons like that. I, I won't say anymore. It's a great book. You should check it out. Every Tool's um, a Hammer? Every Tool's a Hammer. But in it, he's telling a story about being on Mythbusters, and for the first time, he was in charge. Like, he had people underneath him that he was, like, he was the producer. He could hire and fire people, and that was the first time in his life. Everything else, he had worked for someone else. And he said that when somebody screwed up, he wanted, like, his his instinct was to say, like, well, I'm just never going to hire them again. Like, because all these people are contract based, like when they're doing a TV production. So like somebody messes up all the lighting or the sound, you don't hire him again. But he was saying he started to feel bad because he he knows he's been in that situation where he messed something up and then just didn't get hired again. Where if you can work with somebody and say you were awful because of A, B and C. And this conversation is so much harder than just, hey, I'm sorry, it didn't work out. Like that's so much easier to not hire somebody. It takes effort and strength to and courage to to go to someone that was a bad employee and say here's where it went wrong i want to hire you again and i want you to be better and if you can do that it makes so much more of an impact and people can become like real integral passionate parts of the team but that really comes down to are they open to that stuff are they go like if they're a stick in the mud they're going to be a stick in the mud you can leave them behind but if there's people who aren't necessarily good but they're, they're willing and they're open-minded. Yeah, that sticks out to management. That sticks out to the decision makers of saying, yeah, they're open to improving. They're open to feedback. Cool. Yeah. But I've had a, I've had a few people that I've hired that I just never reached out to again. And I've had a few where I'm like, you messed up a couple key things and I want to tell you about it because I want to hire you again. And if I don't tell you about it, if you're not willing to have this conversation, I'm just not going to hire you again. And it's right. an awkward thing. Power is an awkward thing to have, I think, for me. Yeah. So many things to dissect there. One being, I, I feel like feedback, giving feedback and getting feedback is like crucial in any job. And growing up in the creative world, I mean, I, I feel like we're constantly on display and have just grown up to have being able to take feedback and 
mm-hmm. not cry about it. Although I do remember one time I did cry in design school. But now that I'm on the f- the flip side of, of giving feedback is actually really hard. Yeah. Really hard. And And then what you were saying as far as like sticking your neck out for somebody to not only give the feedback because you want them to grow, but then also wanting them to, to stay on and potentially fall on the sore for them if, if they mess up again. Yeah. I, I So this brings, a, I think, the last big thing that I really want us to cover in this is just some pivotal moments that we've had that have been super rewarding or, or lessons that we've learned in our current jobs. And like we talked about what we took away from our earlier jobs, but now that we've had more time to sit in these jobs, what have we learned? Um, and there's a situation that still haunts me to this day then it resolved it didn't resolve but it it had a, a complication uh a couple of years ago um which i just think is hilarious but two things you need to know one i was doing video production for about three years just by myself everything was one man band i didn't have a crew and so that limits what i can do and i knew that i needed to start to have people that i could count on multiple camera people uh different editors and stuff like like i needed a team and on february 6th 2018, I got a call from somebody that I had been bothering to give me a job or like to work with, like, hey, just want to collaborate. Hey, just like, like, I'd been bothering this person. He ended up becoming a great friend and we worked together a ton. But on February 6th, it was the first time he hired me and I was a, a boom pole sound operator. That was my only job, but I was on a crew of like seven people. And of those seven people, six of them have become really, really close friends and I work with them all the time. But like I celebrate February 6th every year because that's when I leveled up because I met people that I could trust and I could film stuff and hire other people. And like that just opened doors for me. And after that, I met even more people and all this stuff. Before all that, back when I was doing social media and people didn't know that they needed social media, I made the decision to hire a salesperson. This was like it was John and I. And I decided to hire a salesperson and I found somebody, I put some feelers out and like went on some resume sites or whatever. And I found somebody I interviewed and this guy was amazing. And I was so ready. He was going to take us to the next level. You can probably see the foreshadowing of, of what goes wrong, but I was trying to figure out how to pay him. And I was like, tell you what, we'll do a three month contract where I will pay you salary. And then after that, we'll switch to commission. And so the more that you sell, the more you make, but I understood I needed the risk of not just saying like, well, go sell for me. And if you sell stuff, then I'll pay you because I know that there's training involved. Um, So hired him for three months and he was in our office and uh, would leave our office and go have meetings, uh, he said. And then after three months, absolutely nothing had changed. There was never a meeting, never a new client. And I had paid three months salary to this person and it rocked my world. And I still haven't understood but it is it has affected every decision that I've made after that, every big decision where it's like, what did I miss? I was in love with this guy. Like he talked the talk, he had numbers, like we we hit it off well, we had a good back and forth and like understood each other. What did I miss where this guy was such a dud for us um, that it was just a waste of three months of salary, which I could have done a lot of things with. And so it just, it was like my first real decision to hire him and it went so wrong. But then and when I had to fire him, it wasn't even really firing him because he was on a three-month con- – like his contract was up and I was just not going to renew his contract because obviously he had produced nothing. It was a really easy thing to tell somebody of like, well, we were going to keep you going if it was going well, but it's not going well. And so I scheduled a lunch with him and I was – 
terrified. Like what you were talking about leading up to your your moment to shine in your in your town hall. I'm sweating. There's no way I'm going to eat at this lunch. Like I am just terrified. I have to tell this guy that I'm firing him. And again, I'm not really firing him. It's different than that. But still, I was just so worked up. And when I when I sat down with him and told him, he was and he's a foot and a half taller than me, like a jacked good-looking guy, and he like cowered. And I realized for the first time, like, oh, wait, I'm his boss. Like, he answers to me and and I employ him. And when I have feedback, it is important. And it was just I had misunderstood the dynamic the whole time. And I wonder, like, that's not why it went wrong. But since then, that's been one of those things where it's like, wait, I need to give feedback. And I can't be afraid of somebody who I'm paying because that's only going to hurt both of us. Have you have you second guessed your and well, I guess you don't necessarily do much hiring anymore, but ha- has that made you second guess your your trusting abilities since you you were mentioning that you felt really good about this guy? Yeah, absolutely. And and I do like when I hire contractors and stuff and there's people I hire that like to shoot stuff when I'm not there. Mm-hmm. And I think of that all the time. Um, the the comical ending to this was that this guy like just rocked my world and shook my confidence, changed my my personality as a business person. And on February 6th, I'm filming with this crew and I am low man on the totem pole. I am holding a boom pole and getting coffee. And it was so important. Like that became such an important day. But we were filming in this like swanky loft apartment and the owner of the apartment was just lounging around. And as I am tasked with, like we're filming this commercial for purses and we have to make the bed. And so I was given a set of sheets and I'm making the bed in this apartment and the owner comes in and the owner is the guy, is the guy that I hired. And it was just so funny to me that like (laughs) what I was just talking about, like this power dynamic of like me firing this, this guy. And then like six years later, fast forward to, I am making his bed. I am in his apartment, putting sheets on his bed. It was a very humbling moment. And uh, and as I was crouched on the floor, as he's towering above me, sipping coffee in his sweatpants um, while people pay to rent his swanky apartment. Yeah. Bit of a bit of a reality check there in a, in a couple. of Wow. Well, that, that's also a, a note to never burn a bridge because you never know who you're going to work whose with again. You, or... you never know whose bed you're going to make. That's right. What have been moments in your career for better, for worse that that stand out to you? I don't have any a uh, a similar story to that one, unfortunately. I do know that. So when I first did, when I first started working for Cushman, I was terrible at it, and it's an <laughs> ongoing joke about how my first manager wanted to fire me, and like I have now solidified the most improved award every single year that I'm still employed at the company. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So I, I don't necessarily remember what clicked. I remember, I know that my first couple months, basically my first role was I was working for H&R Block and they dumped about like 60 leases on my desk being like, you need to negotiate these renewals. Again, I hadn't read a lease before and I remember that I would never answer the phone when a landlord called. I would, I would always let it go to voice, voicemail so I could hear the voicemail, see what they wanted get my notes, and then call back. And I just remember a pivotal moment. Again, I wish I remembered like what I ate for breakfast that morning (laughs) or what was different. 
But that first day that I answered a phone, a phone call on the, like the second ring was like a big milestone. And it was all downhill from there. I became one of the top performers in renewal contests. And I did, I did, some, I did tell a landlord to go ask his mom. I said, why don't you go talk to your mom <laughs> and get back to me? That was good. <laughs> did that change you as a person? It did. It, got, it gave me some, um, well, it, I really wasn't meaning to be smart because he's basically, it was like a mom-son landlord relationship. And he was just basically saying that his mom, he's got to go talk to his mom. But like all my coworkers can hear is like, why don't you go talk to your mom and give me a call back? And it just got, it just was like <laughs> total street cred. But then on, on the flip side, I also, I was giving this landlord a really hard time and following up and being like, what's the, what's the update? What's the update? What's the update? And he sends me back this email being like, you know, not yet, basically. And I see that there's something attached and I scroll down and I click on the attachment and it's a picture of this tablet, like this pill tablet. And on it, it says chill. Nice. You gave me a nice. chill pill. I like that it came through as an attachment that you had to open yeah. separately. It really and, and nothing makes like, you work for the joke. Nothing like see attached or like anything to reference it. It was mainly like if I noticed that he had attached something. Then and you downloaded it. You can but, get his joke. Nice. I don't know. Th- those are just two nuggets of like, you know, th- those were both moments where I was a little bit, had a little bit more cojones than I usually do in a, in a normal instance. So I'm still always afraid when the phone rings from a client that they're just going to be mad at me. <laughs> and, and there's times I'm like, Oh my God, I can't like, and I'll let it go to voicemail and I'll call back. And I'm like, yeah, what did you, it has only in one case, this, this awful agency relationship I had only in that case, was it ever bad? Every other time it's been like, hey, just wanted to call and say thank you. Like we heard that, you know, this took a little bit longer. We really appreciate you doing that. And I'm like half the time like sweating or crying tears of joy on the other side of the call. Like it wasn't bad. They were nice. (laughs) And I don't know why I still have yet to learn like, hey, no one's mad at me for doing my job. Everyone, I think that's something that that's a lesson I've learned. I've always thought like my clients are waiting for me to fail. Like everyone's like waiting for me to trip up and to call me out on it. But all of my clients are rooting for me. Mm-hmm. And and I think like just how with anyone I hire and even like when you hire, like when you get, when you buy anything like from whatever company you're buying it and you want that company to succeed. Like that is a very natural feeling. And I don't know why I, I always felt exempt from that. Yeah. But I think that's natural. And I, and I think that, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why I've stuck around in my current job is because I, the grace that I'm given in situations like today, when I, I mean, I got so much praise in quotation marks about how, how I did. And just like, they, they give you room to mess up and and to grow and they're, and they're there for you to, to lead. So I think that being in a business where either your clients or your management are are rooting for you is a good place to be yeah do you have any uh lessons that you've learned from traveling for work Mm. have things ever gone horribly wrong have you ended up do you pack differently do you not check luggage have you have you had a trip go comically wrong where you've had to fill in the blanks a, a bit behind the ball gosh why why couldn't you have given me that question ahead of time give me some give me some uh time to think 
there's nothing that stands out as just being like, oh my God, one time I went to, I was in Dallas and the world spun against me. No, I, I do know that, um, I think last time Houston had a really bad storm, it was like a couple years ago and our two teammates were down there in the ice storm that was happening and all the highways were shut down and one of the people got the flu while they were down there. So I'm sure that would have been a memory if they were on this podcast, but. I guess you traveled a bunch before this job though, like you with college diplomats and stuff like. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't new for you. Yeah, no, I, I have way more stories about the, the the diplomat program about like almost losing a kid in Japan and um, <laughs> almost missing the flight, you know, the, those things, but. Now you're always early to the airport. I I would say I'm I'm right at the one hour. I definitely carry on more than is I there, check. Is there any like item or extra packing thing that you do that has has changed? Like or that you would recommend to someone of like, oh, I will never travel again without my ex, or like always bring a this because you might need it for this, this or that. What would you tell someone who's 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 starting in your job, who's going to travel? What would you tell mm-hmm. them? What advice would you give them to do your job well on the traveling side? Find some sort of hotspot, whether that's on your phone or a portable one. A uh, An extra battery pack for your phone, one of those portable chargers. Put everything in your briefcase so that you have it, you know, like all your, all, all your chargers and your laptop. Wear your suit jacket on the flight so it doesn't get... Don't pack it. Folded, yeah. Learn how to iron you might need to do that. I, I've been starting to bring my own water bottle, which I think I learned that from you, rather than just like buying a bunch of like reusable or, you know, just water bottles at the airport. I've started to bring my own trusty water bottle, which I think has been nice. Dehydration is a soldier's worst enemy. Yeah. Gosh. Especially like we, we I have to go on, um, on my market tour trips when you're just driving for eight hours. You know, you need that water. You got to stay hydrated. I have one last question for us on the subject of our current jobs. Oh, and and and, and, uh, and um, comfortable clothes for your ride back if it's a work trip. You can stuff the jacket in the in the bag on the ride back. Yeah. Go full sweatsuit on the plane. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right, hit me. So, the last question I want to explore is how does how does your job affect the world? Like when you zoom out, yeah, you're you're doing leases. Um, you're, you're helping with, with the things that you help with. When you try to see big picture, how do you see your company and then specifically your role fitting into the world and affecting the world in what ways? Yeah, Positively I, and or negatively. The easy things to touch on is not necessarily in my specific role, but we have a facilities management department in our St. Louis office that is crucial during natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina for instance, or really tornadoes in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I feel like Nashville got hit like three or four different times with different, but tw- yeah, last yeah. summer they got, they got bad. And even with COVID being able to, um, provide emergency relief, whether that's boarding up the locations or providing, you know, just any sort of facility care to those. Like if you're, if, if your account is HR block and you have 50 locations in Houston that are all out of power, we're able to work overnight to help get them power or help make sure that their businesses is up and running. So those are those are ways that we're able to make huge impacts when they're at, you know, big times of need. 
I think for for my role specifically, like currently I'm I'm finding locations for for tied dry cleaners and I think just the impact of of me being if I do my job well and I find them a good location, their franchise business is going to succeed and it's going to give their family food on the table and allow them to do to build another location and have their family business grow. So I like that impact of like yeah, I'm working for a big company, but I'm also working for like 20 specific franchisees and their families and their family businesses and trying to figure out a way to grow their business and make sure that their business is successful. So that's really been a kind of a cool and and, and having that relationship with them has has been great and you know Cushman's response to all of the the social injustice, you know, things that are going on their reaction time to that and their message and kind of some of the, like I'm on a diversity and inclusion group where we're trying to be more involved with the company or I'm sorry, the community, just all, all those sorts of things. I feel like um, Cushman's done a really great, great job of, of giving some impact into That's awesome. the, uh, the community. What about you? What about Boom? What's rewarding about my job is, is twofold. One, when I get to hire people and help them on their journey, and I think for me, I had said white privilege played a big role, not to, as we're talking about racial inequality, white privilege is how I got to build my company. Um, the fact that we had some family money from generations of being able to own businesses where other people have not had that opportunity meant that on leaner months, I was never worried about starving. I was never worried about like, I was living in some pretty cheap rent places, um, but it was never like, if this is a bad month, I'm going to get kicked out and I can't eat. And and I owe that to my family and, and, and my parents and their parents before them. And it's made it really tough now where I, what I'm trying to do is, is hire more creators of color, more women, but it's really tough to find like every most of the players in this space are people who look exactly like me, most of whom wear a hat all the time. Like mm-hmm. it's it's dumb when we get like the photo of a gr- like a, a crew is often very homogenous. But it's because to do this, like the person I need to hire needs to have $20,000 worth of gear. They need to have lights, cameras, gimbals, microphones, audio recorders, and they need to know how to use all of it. And our country has not made it easy for people of color to have that sort of time to have like most of the, most of the, those communities and people in those communities, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but in general, it's a lot harder to have a situation where your family has built an extra $20,000 to lend you to buy gear and then you have the freedom and the space to learn how to use it to learn while you're on the go and all this sort of stuff and so that's been a big challenge is how to find people and when i can't find people how do i help create opportunities for people to to get their hands on cameras and because i know like this can be a very lucrative job and i i love when there's people who wouldn't typically go down this path, go down this path and see how fun it can be and how financially viable it can be. And so that's something I haven't quite cracked, but I've gotten to work with different high schools and, and even grade schools and do summer campy things and come in and talk about production. And I'm always eager to work with 
with kids. And like when people reach out to me on my YouTube channel, like I try to answer as thoroughly as I can any questions because people were generous to me as I was starting up and, and offered tons of advice and stuff, which resonated. But that's, that's the big challenge is as an independent contractor, especially for filmers, you're not going to work every day of the year and you're not going to charge enough for if you work 50 days out of the year, you're not going to earn enough on those days to be a full-time salary. So how do you walk this line of, of making enough money on the few days that you do work to pay for all the days that you don't plus gear? And so it's, it's a puzzle that I have not cracked yet, but it's something that I, I'm, I'm talking to people about and trying to find different opportunities. But when it does, when I do find people, when I, I do get to work with people that make me feel good about what's happening with the community, that's very, very rewarding. And then I would say, like, to your point about the franchisees, it's also really rewarding with my clients where when I get to work with people, like there's an organization called Safe Connections that I made a video for a couple of years ago, and they do domestic and sexual violence uh, prevention, like preventative education, crisis management, and uh, counseling services. And to know that when I did that video, there's people who are going to get help. There's lives that are going to be better there's there's donors that will donate to that organization so that they can do even more for people. And so there's times where I'm holding a camera at Bayer Monsanto and <laughs> helping some massive corporation earn an extra 0.0004% on this department's quarterly with an internal training video. But then there's times where I'm having an impact on a trauma victim's life or I'm helping a, like I've done videos with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation and helping kids get access to things like helping raise money for kids to to get access to life-saving treatments and stuff like that. So when when I get to be a part of a project like that, it is a very, very special thing and not something that, that has lost its sweetness for me. Like every time it is very much, I, I think I make it an emotional thing, but mm-hmm. I, I always try to zoom out and see that impact that the community can have because of a story that I get to tell. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Do you... Well, I guess this would be kind of leading into episode three as far as doing more of the, like kind of doing more of those videos and less of the other, the other stuff, I guess having, I don't know what I'm trying to say or how to say it, but as far as like the ratio of you doing more feel good material versus. Yeah. I think I have a thing for the third episode that like, I, I have a vision okay for what I want to do and where all these little pieces fit into it and. Yeah, I'll save that for next time. I think I, I do. We have time for one more question, or yeah, I guess we're making this up. <laughs> we're in charge. It doesn't matter. Um, or I, I don't think that this is episode three, but I don't know. I think this kind of swirls around just overall twenty twenty COVID impacts. You know, I, I, we were on a conference call the other day, and and they were talking about the last recession that you know I didn't go through it, but um, or I wasn't in a corporate job to, to go through it and they were saying about like you got to just take advantage of it and grab as much space as you as you can to prepare for you know when we bounce back so basically are are you taking advantage of covid and i think it's a it's a really great question and i i think i've always known that as far as like okay now my workload is not as heavy as it's been in previous years but this is the time to like get everything in order so that when it does hit back that i'm that i'm ready but i know for you that hasn't really been as easy cuz you know you've had your 
for lack of a better term, your your world's kind of been rocked as far as number of jobs or having to say no because of the pandemic or whatnot and kind of your, your whole lifestyle. So I'm just curious as to how the last year has been. Has that kind of deterred you to your current job and, and how you were able so, to adjust? So interestingly, there's sort of two things that happened simultaneously that ended up being really complimentary, but right before the pandemic hit. So we had a, our, Luca, our son, in July of 2019. And I worked a little bit in July, August, really just in August and September. I worked a tiny little bit while Jesse was on maternity leave. And then I took off October, November, December. And when I say that, people are like, oh, that's so cool that you get to do paternity leave. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. I just didn't work. I didn't make money. I could have taken a year. Like I didn't get three months off with pay. Um, That's not how this works. But in the end of 2019, I didn't work for three months. And then in January, I started to tiptoe back in and we had uh, childcare two days a week. And I was trying to figure out how to like schedule all my shoots for the days we had childcare because it's not really sustainable to pay for childcare for five days a week when I'm home, when I'm not like on a shoot. But it's also annoying to be like, well, a shoot just popped up on Thursday. Now I got to scramble to find childcare. And so I was finding the sweet balance where I would mostly work like I scheduled all my shoots when I could control it on the two days a week that we had childcare. And then February and March, like I said, were huge. We're just massive months where I ended up in the right place at the right time with the guy who I met on February 6th, who finally hired me. He was working at an agency and hiring me a bunch. And then he left that agency and that agency was like, oh shoot, we've got a bunch of stuff we need to film and that guy's gone we'll hire Sean to do it. And so his salaried position became a bunch of contract jobs for me. And so just going gangbusters. And then I got back on March 10th from a flight. And then I had a meeting on March 12th somewhere. And then I didn't leave my house for months. (laughs) So all the jobs disappeared and then came back, but it wasn't safe to do them and people were like there were companies that were just going out and shooting like with absolute disregard for safety and it was driving me crazy because it's like people would ask me to film and I'm like it's not safe to do that job and they're like well we'll find someone else to do it and so I was losing clients to reckless competitors um, which is a frustrating thing for a a rule follower like myself but but then like everything sort of slowed down and as the virus got worse and worse I took like three jobs over the the rest of the year. But this whole time, I'm also like, we don't have childcare anymore. And like, we stopped it when I wasn't working at all because we, A, we couldn't pay for it with me not working. It didn't make sense to be like, hey, go care for my child. I'm going to sit at home today and not have a job. So the two things that happened were, yeah, the pandemic dried up all of the work, but I also became a full time dad again. And that was a, a very natural handoff where, as you say, like, enjoy the time Mm -hmm. I have been and I've gotten moments with my son that a lot of dads don't get and to be there every day and to be in most cases like the primary caretaker because Jesse is still working full-time and that's how we're able to make this work it's been very rewarding but I noticed that more than ever before I am craving creativity because I'm not making anything like I'm forcing myself to make little YouTube videos here and there just to do something but Man, the last time I took a photo that I took a good, mm-hmm. my good camera and like took a photo of a bird or something that I like taking a photo of, it's been 
like since August, since I've done that, it's just gotten away. So I hear people talk about all the spare time they have (laughs) right now. Yeah. And mine just happens. Like, I'm sure I have more spare time. It's just all filled by a toddler. Um, And so it's not spare time anymore. (laughs) But time I'm grateful for. But it's not like, oh, I'm using this to prepare and to do more training on learning different skills that I'll be able to take once things open back up or whatever. No, I'm just hanging out with a kid. Yeah. No, it's all it's it's all good perspective. It's something we didn't expect to happen and it's kind of jolted us into different situations and I think it's all good stuff. I think the and you can probably speak to this more than than I can, but the embrace of video conferencing and stuff like that you said, you know, a year ago, people weren't even thinking it was viable. And now it's the standard. Have you seen new efficiencies? Like has Cushman embraced like, oh, it turns out we don't need to have everyone in this room for this meeting. Like we could, it could take half the time and we could do it from anywhere. Like, cause you also got to travel for several months and, and spend time with family while still doing your job, which you would not have been able to do if you were arbitrarily required to do that same job from a desk in a building. Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely depends on, I mean, there's all sorts of different managers at Cushman where I think some, or, and just the type of client and and workload where it kind of requires you to be in the office because you kind of just need to know what your, your people are doing. But fortunately I've been able to be pretty remote. And yeah, I, I lived on the East Coast for about six months out of out of 2020. So that was awesome to be like with family. And I think that our, our company has been great. We've been actually kind of one of the leaders in, in kind of the office adaptation of like the six foot office and um, having good protocol. But, I, you know, we, we were pretty remote and work from home compatible before the pandemic so we were we were kind of ready for it so I I used to work from home like once or twice a week anyways but I mean I don't know we're we're supposed to go back 50% I think starting next month but I think it'll be not until the fall until we see any sort of normalcy because they've they've seen and they've realized that we can be productive virtual and it's been a huge culture change for leadership and uh, it's been great. I imagine not only productive, but in many ways happier. Like you got to spend six months yeah. with family that you would not have been able to do. I mean, yeah, me, uh, kidless, um, and can go and hang out with family for six months. Yeah, I, but, and that's the other thing. It's like, it's so hard to critique this past year as far as performance, because you have to be mindful of what people are going through. And there's this good metaphor or analogy, again, I don't, know my words well <laughs> and I'm probably going to butcher this uh, metaphor but like we're all in the same storm we're all but some of us are in a boat and some of us are in a canoe Gosh. I think word for word this is how it goes <laughs> I, I think that was like but like I saw that on a poster and it said in an ocean uh dot 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 but uh, 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 uh I think dot 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 yeah exactly. that's exactly how it's I know written. it's it's just like when it hits you it just it makes sense no, yeah, but ba- you feel the like, sentence more than you hear it. <laughs> we're all in this trauma, but some of us are living different traumas than than the than the next person. So yeah, I mean, it, it for me, work life has been relatively great. I mean, it's I'm pretty isolated now, and I've been it's super lonely. Um, but I can't imagine if you have seven kids 
in and out of school for the past 12 months, what that's been on you. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a good place to stop episode two because all my questions are about the future, which we don't know yet. And that's, that's what episode three is, is, is what's next and what's next. And what have we learned? What, 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 what would we do? What would we do with what we've learned? Sweet. Yeah. And my, my computer's going to die. So that's a good, I think this is also, I agree that this is a great place to, to stop, but yeah, this has been fun. Well, thanks for listening again to to Justin and anyone else, <laughs> and uh, we will we will talk to you in the next episode. See ya. That was original content from Boom Reactive.